Hello and welcome to Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. My name is John Bartlett, and I'm your host. Tom Tursich is an adventurer, photographer, and writer. Tom is the 10th person to ever walk around the world, and his dog Savannah is the first canine to do so. Tom adopted her a few months into his walk, and they ended up going across six continents and 37 countries over seven years. Spending every day by each other's side led to a close bond and companionship that made Tom's adventure even better to have a dog by his side. Savannah and Tom found their way through the world and their place in the world together. Tom, welcome to Dog Save the People. I'm so thrilled to have you with us today. How are you? Thanks so much for having me. Pleasure to be here. Your story is so profound. The photographs that I've seen from your travels, the photographs of Savannah, your dog, all of the above have just blown me away. So Tom, whereabouts are we talking to you from? I'm currently in Seattle. So Seattle is treating me and Savannah well so far. Oh, I love it. You are the 10th person to walk around the world. And Savannah is the first dog to have walked around the world. You logged over 22,500 miles across 35 nations. That is incredible. So I wanted to ask you, Tom, this worldwide journey was inspired by a friend of yours. Yeah. So when I was 17, I had a friend, Amory, who died. I had grown up with Amory and we grew up just a couple blocks apart. We would walk to the same elementary school together. And then we were in the same friend group in middle school and high school. Amory really was the nicest person I knew. And when she was 16, she died in this very freak jet ski accident when she was taking a vacation. So for me, at 17, it was really formative. And I think a large part of it was that it kind of hit home that I was going to die and it could happen at any moment. So then I thought about really deeply, what did I want out of life? I knew I wanted to travel and I wanted adventure and I wanted to understand the world. I eventually stumbled across Carl Bushby and Steve Newman, these two guys who had walked around the world. And for whatever reason, at 17, that just stuck in my head as the answer. And then it was going to college and then paying off loans and living at home and working and working and saving until I had enough money. The day before I turned 26, I walked out my front door and started. And then it was seven years later before finishing. So it dominated my life. I know that when I've lost people, especially when I was younger and lost friends, it was a true wake-up call for me in the sense of do it now and don't wait. Just do it because life is so short. Yeah, I totally agree. For me, it was very much a wake-up call and I would be a totally different person if she hadn't passed away. Yeah. So, Tom, you set off on your own. What were those first few months like? It was a good thing I started in the U.S. because I had a lot to figure out. Firstly, I was always in great shape. I've been an athlete my whole life. I played college tennis. And then after college, I stayed in good shape. But trying to walk 20 plus miles a day was something else for my body. It took me a month first off to just physically be able to handle walking that much every day. And before then, I would be getting all these cramps and tons of blisters. And it was just a big toll on my body until eventually I adjusted. The other thing is I had a custom cart that I would push that had all my things in it. 
and it broke twice. So I ended up switching that out for a busy, big baby carriage, which served me well for the rest of the trip. And then figuring out like the basics of how to survive on the road, how much water I needed, where I could get water, how much food I needed. I really had to eat much more than I was comfortable to make sure I had energy for each day. And then the other thing was that when I was camping out in strange places, I was waking up all the time in the middle of the night. And every night I'm thinking, man, it'd be really nice to have a dog by my side so I could sleep better. I had already been thinking about possibly getting a dog and I knew I should do it in the US before I entered Mexico and started down Central and South America. So my first day in Austin, Texas, I went to Austin Pets Alive and I spent about two hours there and really didn't connect with any of the dogs. I'm about to leave. And right before I left, a worker brings out Savannah and her sister, who were just little puppies. Another shelter had found her on the side of the highway, and she was in a kill shelter. So she was due to be put down. And then Austin Pets Alive grabbed her and her sister. I was like, well, this is perfect because I'll get a puppy, and she won't know any other life but a life with me. And this very strange life of walking every day and sleeping in new places. So I adopted her. What was it like in the beginning with her as a puppy? It was tough. <laughs> it was really tough. At that point when I was in Texas, I was finally into a rhythm of walking. I was like, okay, I can do this 24 miles a day every day. And now all of a sudden I have this puppy and she's not leash trained. She doesn't want to walk when she's on the leash. And she was also just terrified of cars. So anytime a car was anywhere nearby, she would freeze up and lay down and then wouldn't move for another five minutes. I had a dog growing up, and so I had exposure how to train a dog and how to treat a dog, but just having a puppy is totally different. After a week of walking, I remember talking to my mom and telling her how frustrated I was that Savannah was not adjusting, and my mom just told me, you know, you have to shift your priorities right now. The 24 miles a day right now is secondary, train Savannah. So I started really dedicating a couple hours every day just to try and train Savannah. In the morning, I get up, whether we had slept at a church or in the woods or wherever it was, I would just spend an hour a day with treats, egging her on little by little to walk beside me a little bit on the leash. It took really all my patience and took like a reframing. She grew quickly. She's athletic framed and she's smart. And after just a month of walking, she was doing the full 24 miles a day with me. She's out smelling new things every day. She gets to protect camp at night, which she loves, and sleeps right beside me every night, and gets to spend every minute of the day with her best friend. When we would walk these days, I'd set up camp, and she would grab a stick and then want to play and then have zoomies for like a couple minutes. I remember in the deserts of Peru and in Chile, her just running in circles for like minutes to burn out this energy, which I'm like, we just walked 30 miles, and she still has all this energy to burn and wouldn't have had it any other way. She loved the walking. Wow. I have a visual of her just kind of growing every day and taking on more and more time with you and more miles. And there's a wonderful quote that you have that says, in a way, I sought out Savannah for the original reason our ancestors took in dogs. Yeah. The reason I thought about getting Savannah in the first place was to protect me at camp and so I could sleep better. That was probably the original pairing. They would come to camp and we'd give them a little bit of food. They would bark if there's any intruders. And she served that purpose in a certain way throughout the length of the trip. I slept much better just having her there. She would always bark and chase things off. 
But yeah, it really evolved beyond that, I would say, after Mexico. The cities there were really intense to walk through. I mean, she was a puppy. How did that evolve with Savannah by your side? Central and South America were really challenging. Definitely the most intense sections of my walk, and especially for Savannah. The thing that was particularly challenging, especially for Savannah, was that there's just a lot of stray dogs. Then there's this other type of dog that's maybe not quite a stray, but it's not quite taken in by anyone, where it's maybe given scraps by someone, but they'd never given any love and affection. And so it just hangs around and becomes really territorial of a house. It was every day, multiple times a day, getting attacked by strays. And this is the first two years of Savannah's life. And so she had a lot of trauma, for sure. And she was really afraid of other dogs and very timid around other dogs. I was joking, my most developed skill is fending off aggressive dogs because I just had to be. I mean, it was every day I was kind of in the fire, keeping these dogs away from Savannah. After about three months, I remember being camped out in this field with Savannah. And I remember looking at her and just thinking, you know, I, I love this little bugger. For me, until that moment, really felt like I was just taking care of her and nothing else. After that, we just got closer and closer and closer. And I couldn't never imagine doing it without her. I just have so much respect for her. She's such a beast. After those two years, I stopped in Uruguay for a month. And I have cousins in Uruguay. And they had two dogs. And so Savannah was able to hang out with these dogs. And that really helped because the dogs are friendly. And I remember her at the beginning, she just stand out to the side and was terrified, didn't know what to do. And the dogs would come over, she would yell. And gradually she realized, oh, I can trust these dogs. And it's all good. And now she loves dogs and she's very well socialized. She's a really loving dog. Oh, I'm sure. Tom, I wanted to ask you across all of these places that you visited, how did you notice the dog culture change in different countries? Yeah, there's a big variance. U.S. and Europe is like dogs are our kids. I would say more so than any other place that I've been. In most cities, there's people with pet dogs. But then the less developed a country is, the more strays you will see. And I think for developing countries, they have a lot of things that they're trying to work on. And taking care of dogs is such a large, complex problem. It's just low on the priority list. I would say the most unique country was Turkey. Turkey has this unique relationship that is they spay and neuter these stray dogs, but they just don't come inside and they vaccinate the dogs outside. And the people kind of treat them as community members in a way. The dogs would be hanging out there and their tails would be wagging and the people would be nice to them and they'd go to certain shops and they'd give them food and they're clean and generally friendly. Turkey was a really interesting place just to see that there was this different sort of relationship where it's like, yeah, we respect dogs and we treat them well, but they're just not allowed inside. That part isn't part of the culture. I had a guest a while ago, Elizabeth Lowe, and she did a documentary on stray dogs in Turkey and they are part of the community, but they're allowed to stay dogs. I love that concept. I'm glad that you got to experience that. Yeah, there's one dog in Turkey that's really famous. I can't remember its name, but it lives in Istanbul and it takes the subway and it takes the ferry and it kind of just like bounces all around Istanbul and has its own Instagram account. Yes, Boji. I love that Instagram account, which by the way, I'll just mention for anybody who's looking for it, it's Boji underscore IST. And yes, I find that dog arrangement in Turkey to be super interesting. It's a really cool place and culture. I wanted to ask you, Tom, so across all these areas of the world, there were language barriers, cultural differences. 
how did Savannah help to be a bridge or help to break the ice with people that you didn't necessarily share a language with? For me, at least, whenever I see someone with a friendly dog, I think it's a pretty good measure of, can I trust this person? And I think Savannah served the same way as this ambassador for me. When she meets anyone new, her tail's wagging and she's excited to see them. I think when people see this, they go, okay, (laughs) this is his dog. And I think that translates to me as well, her friendliness. And even if we don't speak the same language, we speak that language of love of dogs and animals. They are our gateway, our conduit to connecting. Certainly. My girlfriend was just saying, it's nice to have a natural way to have a relationship with a different generation or just different groups of people that you otherwise wouldn't have. And the dog is enough of a commonality to have that bond. So Tom, you had a change in your trip due to the pandemic. Everything stopped because the world went on hold. How did that impact not only your route, but your time with Savannah? And was it difficult navigating having been on the road for so long and then kind of having to stop? Yeah, it was very challenging. So we got stuck in Azerbaijan for six, seven months, something like that. Oh, wow. We were walking across the country at the time. And I remember hearing like, oh, Georgia just closes borders. And then it was Turkey closes borders, Russia closes borders. And then all of a sudden the flight stopped and we were just stuck in Azerbaijan. And the big thing was not only getting a flight out for me, but getting a flight out that would take Savannah. That's really why we had to wait so long. And eventually got to Turkey. We wound up in Kosh, this little Mediterranean town. And so ended up just waiting out there. But it was nice because it was the first time Savannah and I were really able to have a different relationship to the world than just walking through it. It was really nice to live like normal people. Just go for a little walk and then come back and she can lay on the sofa or lay on the cold tiles somewhere. And then also get into a rhythm of meeting the same people over and over again. People would come over and she'd be so excited to see her friends. And that was nice too. It was really difficult for me to adjust and to stop. It took like a year really to accept that the plan that I had to walk up to Mongolia and then walk Australia just was not going to happen. I think the world has really had to pivot in so many different ways. We've had to reframe our lives, our journeys, our expectations. Is there any type of just general advice that you have for our listeners with that idea in mind? I guess that maybe two pieces of advice. I'll say the first probably is to be a little more reckless when it comes to following your dreams. You have one life and it's going to be over in a moment. And so go and just fall on your face a thousand times, but do it in the direction that you want to do it. And you will get up and you'll be fine and you'll get better and better as you go. And even if it doesn't work out, even if you don't achieve your dreams the way you had imagined, what else is your time here for? (laughs) Just like do something that you want to do. And then I'll say the second thing is sort of embrace difficulty a little more. Difficulty in a broad sense, like rather than say driving the car to the gym, ride your bike to the gym or walk to the gym, just because the in-between is where life is. It's these things that are difficult, say like riding the bike in the rain or riding the bike in the snow to the gym or whatever. That's going to be a memory for you and it's going to be fun and your hands are going to be cold. And then when you get inside, you're going to appreciate your hands being warm. Embrace the in-between, embrace the difficulty a little more because that's what life is. So the world walk is over and what an incredible experience and adventure you've had with Savannah at your side. What are your plans now? Working on a book, which is just a massive 
project. You just got to put in a little work every day. And it's just seven years trying to condense that down into a, a little period. But then otherwise, enjoying having a bed and some good food and living a normal life. It's a magical experience that you have created. And I'm looking forward to hearing more from you and from your book. Tom, finally, where do we find you online in your work? The World Walk at Instagram is probably the best. That's probably the most reliable, but theworldwalk.com. Yes, the Instagram is great because you get to see so many beautiful shots of Savannah and just all of your travels. But the website is really wonderful. It has all of your writings and photographs from around the world. So I recommend all of the above. And again, Tom, I'm so excited for your next travels and to see where you land next. And thank you for sharing your time with us. Thank you so much for having me. Give your dog a pat on the head for me. (laughs) Hearing from Tom about his journey was a strong reminder for me that life is short and you shouldn't wait to do what you want to do. There will always be excuses you can make, always a reason not to do it. But the motivation and following through by Tom on an ambitious goal of traveling the world is truly inspiring. At the same time, what really touched my heart was hearing about the evolution of Savannah, Tom's dog, from her joining him as a nervous little puppy and growing into Tom's sidekick, his best friend and crucial companion. Traveling the world is in itself an amazing experience, but doing it with your dog by your side makes it even better. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. This show is made by, as it should be, a production company and content studio. It is made with the support of Scott Benaglio, executive producer, and Jack Summer, our producer and editor. Special thanks to Daniel Lampert, our neighbor and composer, for creating the music for the show. You can follow Dog Save the People on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow our show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. To sign up for our monthly email newsletter, you can go to dogsavethepeople.com. On the website, you'll also find show merch in our online gift shop. This includes shirts from the Tiny Tim Rescue Fund, my foundation, where profits go to supporting independent rescues and shelters. If you have any questions or submissions, please drop a note to the email address bark at dogsavethepeople.com. New episodes come out every Tuesday, so see you next week for another episode from Dog Save the People. Enjoy a walk with your dog outside and make it a great day for both of you. Mm-hmm.